You're listening to CSN International, the Christian Satellite Network, your home for solid Bible teaching and the latest praise and worship music. In just a moment, we'll go live to the River Christian Fellowship, the home of CSN, for today's service with our special guest. But first, I'd like to invite you to join us in person at the River. We're located in Twin Falls, Idaho, and have our Sunday morning service at 10 a.m. Mountain Time and our Sunday and Wednesday evening services at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Visit theriverchristianfellowship.com and click on the map for directions or to schedule a visit. Now, we go live to the River Christian Fellowship for today's service. today, it is our reasonable sacrifice that we would, as an act of worship, we give to you out of the abundance you gave us first, Lord. We ask that a spirit of joy would fill this place as we give, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. 
like to stand, you're very welcome to. Thank you. 
Lord. Great is not even a strong enough word to describe the amazing things that you do for us. Each and every day, Lord, your blessings renewed. And as we turn to your word, we ask that your spirit would continue to just strive with us, Lord, and fill us with wisdom for what you have in your word today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Nice to see you all this morning. That's good. It wakes me up. Got to catch my breath. I was down the hall and I wasn't in place. So I'm too fat to be running that far, really. So we've been talking about uh, Ephesians 3. Um, I'm Scott Spencer. I'm the assistant pastor here at the River Christian Fellowship. Mike has just gone for a few weeks. He'll be back uh, before long, I'm sure. So we've been working our way through Ephesians. And I'm going to read a few verses here uh, from chapter 3. And we'll see how far we get. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he has made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of man, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. O God Almighty, thank you for this opportunity to come together and to focus on your word, search the riches of your word. Father, we pray that you would open your word unto us, reveal to us uh, the mysteries of so much that you uh, have for us. And Father, we just pray for the blessing, for the presence of your Holy Spirit this morning. In Jesus' name, we ask it. So, in chapter 3 of Ephesians, Paul starts talking about a mystery. So when we hear the word mystery, I don't know about you, but, you know, I, uh, I like to read mysteries when I was a teenager, and so I would read all of these mystery books, you know, Murder on the Orient Express and things like that, you know, uh, a lot of TV shows still are centered around mysteries, a whodunit kind of a thing. Somebody gets murdered, and so the, the entire story is about finding the murderer. That's a mystery. Well, that's kind of like what Paul is talking about here, but it's a little bit misleading. Uh, in, the, in the New Testament, the Greek word mysterion means something that is beyond a natural knowledge, something that has been revealed supernaturally, a divine revelation, something the Holy Spirit reveals. Paul's word in Colossians 1.26 gives the idea 
the mystery has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but it's now disclosed to the saints. Remember last week, who are the saints? The saints were all of those Christians in Ephesus. The saints saints are you folks. Saints are people who have been set aside for God's work, for God's purpose. Once you become a Christian, you are set aside, you're set apart. There's a division that takes place between you and people who have not uh, given their heart, given their life to the Lord. They have not been set aside, but you have, and, and you are called saints. That whole thing that we all think about of saints, you know, we think of the church with the, with the stained glass and the, the statues. Uh-uh, throw that out the window. That's not what I'm talking about. Saints are living people. They've been set aside for God's purpose. So that mystery is disclosed to the saints, and he's specifically talking to the saints in Ephesus by the Holy Spirit. That's not something natural. That's something unusual. That is supernatural. That is something that doesn't just happen. But Paul is saying that that mystery had never been really revealed until this time. This was the specific time when that mystery could be revealed. And Paul was the man who was, who was, uh, who was point on that. Paul was the man that God had sent to the Gentiles. The other apostles, they were sent to the Jews. They ministered to the Jews. They spoke to the Jews. They, they, uh, they you know, Jesus was there. They had the opportunity to walk, to talk with him. They saw all of that play out. And that was for the Jews. So the Jews were first. The Jews were first in line. But we're not left out. Because what, we're Gentiles, right? Unless you have Jewish blood in you, which you know, there could be. I think we've had people here before that I've met that, that had Jewish blood. So, so if, if you're in that uh, group of people, um, you're especially blessed. But for the rest of us, we're just glad there's a spot for us, right? I'm just glad that I'm not left behind completely. Because that was kind of how it was until Paul reveals what he calls here is a mystery, is how do Jews and Gentiles, how are they brought together? Because like I said last week, the, the Jews, they looked on Gentiles like as if they were a subspecies. They looked on Gentiles like as if, as if maybe they didn't even have a soul. They, were, they looked down on Gentiles that badly, really badly. Like, we don't want to be in the same zip code as you are badly. So how do you bring together Jews and Gentiles? How does that happen? That's a mystery. It's a mystery, isn't it? And then in other places, Paul talks about being grafted in. I don't know if you've ever seen a tree that's been grafted, but they're pretty common these days, so you probably have. Uh, It's very common to see a tree where the trunk is one species, and then they've grafted something completely different on top. And the reason for that is, is the, the fruit on the top one is the better fruit, 
but the root at the bottom is a better root. So they take the two and combine them, and now you have a tree that's going to be long-lasting, it's resistant to bugs, gives great fruit. So that's the idea of grafting. But if you look at that graft in there, it's become one piece, hasn't it? You can sort of see where it was joined together, but it's not like there's a separation there. There's no division there. It's, it's a part of the top part is a part of the bottom part. And they're inseparable. And if you tried to separate them, you would probably destroy both of them. And that's what is happening here with this is the mystery that Paul is talking about. How do the Jews and the Gentiles come together? And, and in churches, some of Paul's churches, some of the ones he founded, there were, there were people who were Jews that were meeting there. There were people there who were Gentiles. There were Greeks. There was a variety, a variety of people there. Not just socioeconomic, but heritage. The heritage. And they were meeting together in a way that they never would have met together before. They were being brought together. Who, who, who brought them together? Who did that bringing together? The Holy Spirit brings, brings people together. You know, in, in, uh, and I've mentioned this frequently because it's a, to me it's a big deal. Uh, Jesus says, how will you know my people? How will you know them? He said, you'll know them by the love they have one for another. That's a mystery, isn't it? That's a mystery because there are people that we by nature, we don't love those people. That's not something that's natural. It's a very supernatural thing for some people to love other people. It's a supernatural thing. You know, when I was younger, I have to admit, and I think I've admitted this before, so it's not new to some of you, but, you know, when I was younger, um, it was all pretty much about me. You know? I I was... It wasn't that I didn't care about people. It wasn't that that I wasn't willing to help people, but, but my focus was on myself. And, and it just, it, it, that just was my, my primary thing, just kind of all about me. And then as I got younger, or I'm sorry, as I got older, and then I moved into ministry, God, God changed me. You know, I've said, I've said me and my natural self, I don't even like people. I'm happy to sit in my office with the door closed all day long. And if nobody bothers me, that's a red letter day. You know, but God put something in my heart for people. And I've changed. And it's a supernatural thing. It's not anything I did myself, you know. I didn't go read a self-help book. I didn't go take a seminar, How to Love People. It'd be great if there was something like that, but... If there was, it really wouldn't work anyway because it's not real, is it? It's got to be real. The love has to be real. And we can tell when it's real. You know, that's one thing about the younger generation, the younger people today. They know fake when they see it. And they don't have a problem calling it out. It's got to be real. Got to be real. Don't fake it. So that mystery that Paul's talking about, 
Paul says, For we are God's workmanship, his masterwork, a new spiritual creation, brought near through the blood of Christ. It's a, Christians, Christians are a new, a new people. That's what happens when we become a Christian. You know, we talk about that. We, we say you're, you, your old person is gone and you are a new creature in Christ. Your past is gone. What you were before is dead. That's the symbolism in baptism is a burial and a resurrection. And the intention is that your old man, your old person is buried. Now, we all understand that that old man has a way of coming back to life once in a while. And it is, just like you see in the movies, you know, where you have a hand coming up through the dirt. You know, that's how it is. It's not pretty. It's not pretty. And that, that old man once in a while comes out. You know, I, I had that experience last summer. You know, I said, well, you know, the old man's still there. He showed up. Got to have another funeral. Got to have another burial. We understand that, that uh, you have to battle that. We'll, we'll battle that our entire life. That's not something that entirely goes away. But hopefully it gets better. Hopefully we're not quite where we were, you know. I'm not where I want to be, but thank God I'm not where I was. Because I'm growing spiritually. We're all growing spiritually. We're all in different places. Um, some of you that are younger, you have different struggles than I do. I don't struggle with things that you do. They're not a temptation to me anymore. But I've worked past that. But there's things that I deal with that you don't deal with. So it's like there's just always something, isn't there? There's always something the Holy Spirit needs to work on. There's always something that we need to lean on Him for. And so the mystery was opened up in verse 15, and we're told that the nearness, uh, the nearness or the reconciliation happened through the creation, Paul says, in himself, one new man out of two, a new humanity, a third human race, is the church, God's people. Now, I've said this before, but I think it bears mentioning again, just to be sure that we're all on the same page. The church is not this building. I'm as bad as anybody. I refer to this building as the church, but it isn't. It isn't the church. This building is just a meeting place. This building is, is, is very convenient for us because it's designed for a group of people. It's designed with a fellowship hall and a kitchen. So it's very convenient for us to use for this purpose. But you know what? We could be meeting in a potato cellar and it would be just as much of a church as what we have right here. Be no difference because you're the church. People, you people are the church. You saints are the church. And when Paul's referring to the church, that's what he's referring to. He's referring to the people. He's not referring to a building. A building has nothing to do with it. Absolutely nothing. You know, everything you see in the movies about, you know, the church being holy ground and, 
and uh, the demons can't get you if you're in the church. That's all movie stuff. It's not real. It isn't real. In the Philippines, there's a church that uh, was in the path of a volcano. And the volcano is exploding. Lava is running. Everybody ran into the church because they thought they would be safe in the church. You can go to that church today. You can see that church. You can stand there. And what's there is the roof of the building and the remnants of the steeple. The church was entirely covered by lava. The church did nothing to protect the people because it's just a building. Is God's presence here with us today? Absolutely. But it's here because of you. It's not here because of the building. God does not reside in this building. God resides in you through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what's referred to as a down payment of what you will have when you leave this world and you go into God's presence. It's a down payment. It's a small part. You know, I don't know if you've bought anything lately, but, uh, you know, if I go to buy something, if I go to buy a car or something, you know, and they'll ask me, well, how much a down payment do you want to put down on it? Well, kind of was thinking maybe a dollar. Okay, two bucks then, you know. I mean, my point is, what my point is, is when you put a down payment there, the down payment is very small, very small compared to what the entire portion is, isn't it? And that's what we have with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a little bit of what we'll have when that time comes. So there's a new humanity God has created in the church something entirely new that didn't exist, something where we bring people together. And, you know, we see that in here today, right here in this room. We have people of all different nationalities, different heritages. We have people from different experiences, people from uh, foreign countries like California and Washington. And we, have, we all come together. That's a miracle, isn't it? Isn't that a miracle? This is a new people. People of different experiences, different ages. I'm always amazed when I see young people come in here because I'm like, we're a bunch of old people. I don't even know why you're here. But I'm really glad you are because some of us are getting tired. So, we, uh, yeah, shouldn't have said that. Sorry. Uh, this mystery is an open secret, but this mystery dominates Paul's um, talking dominates Paul's letter through Ephesians. He can't get his thoughts off of the secret. The open secret, which was not understood in times past, is that Jews and Gentiles are heirs together. They're members together. Um, Paul, in fact, Paul made up a, a new word because there really wasn't a word that... Uh, that described that, and so uh, he came up with the word fellow partakers, and he made it up. If you, if you, you know, if you're reading the Greek there, um, it's, it's a word he made up because there wasn't anything like that before. 
fellow partakers um, joined together, brought together as a family. And, uh, you know, we do. Here, here at the river, we are family. If, if people come and they need something, if we can help them, we do that. Why? Not because I get anything out of it. Uh, usually it's not me even doing it. Usually I know somebody who can help with whatever it is that they need. But we help because we're family, you know. If, if you need help, who do you call? You call your family. They're the first ones you call. You pick up the phone. And, uh, and, and, and that's, you know, that's what families do. They provide for, for each other. So uh, the, mystery, the mystery of, of uh, Christ with the church, it's what John wrote about in 1 John 1, 3. He says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Remember when Paul was talking about, I think it was last, last week or so, but he's talking about um, Jesus says, I am in the Father and you are in me. I'm in the Father and you are in me and we are joined together. And what do we have? When Can you visualize that? Can you visualize that in your mind? We have a joining together of us all with Christ and with God. And the Holy Spirit is within us. Jesus says, I'm, 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 in, the, I'm in the Father. You are in me. And the Holy Spirit is within us. We're all joined together. That's God's objective. That's His objective. You know, this thing, this thing about... Uh, uh, Denominational uh, separations, um, sects, different sects, and uh, sometimes you'll talk to people who are in a sect, or um, sometimes it's to the point where you want to call them a cult, but, you know, they will think themselves very superior, because they'll say something like, uh, well, I don't eat that, whatever that is. Or on a certain day, I eat certain food. Or they'll say, you know, I keep the feast. There's kind of a movement back to keeping the Jewish feasts. I keep the feast. Or they will say uh, something like, I keep the Sabbath holy. Or they will wear clothing in a certain way. You know, they will, they will wear certain pieces of clothing. Or maybe, maybe it's a part of it to have a beard. For the Jews it is. I'm really glad we don't have to wear a beard because I'm really ugly with a beard. A beard doesn't work for me. A lot, a lot of people, look, they look at my head and they say, you need a beard. And I say, uh-uh, no, I don't. You don't know what I look like with a beard. But all of those things are separations. They divide, don't they? Do they do anything to unite it? There's a lot of groups out there who have brought in traditions from 100, 150 years ago. This is the way we do it. This is, this is what you look like. You need to look like this. Or you need to have this certain gift. If you don't have that gift, you're not saved. Really? Can you show me where that is? Chapter and verse? Because I'm not too sure about that. 
but they bring those things in and make it a part of their doctrine. And pretty soon, pretty soon they're not glorifying God with their worship. And sometimes it looks like they're pretty far from God. And it looks like maybe they have a spirit, but it's not the Holy Spirit. And Paul warned about that. He warned about using discernment because he said, he said that that kind of thing is going to come along. That kind of thing referred to false prophets. He referred to false teachers. You know, they come along, they're not just preaching the gospel, they're preaching something else. And if, if, if you ever hear me doing something like that, I hope you call me out on it because I don't intend to be doing that. That is, that is not where I want to go. So uh, this testament, well, Paul, remember Paul took to uh, the Jews in Jerusalem, he took a gift from the Gentiles because they had a, they had a lot of need. They were suffering. They, they didn't have, the economy was horrible in Jerusalem at the time and they, they could hardly eat. And so Paul has the Gentiles put together an offering and he took it to them and that was earth shattering that was earth shattering to the jews that the gentiles would send them something to meet their need they were floored by that so paul goes on in verses 7 and 8 and talking about the mystery he says i've become a servant of this gospel by the gift of god's grace given to me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all of God's people, and this grace was given to me. And, and again, he, he kind of makes up a word. He takes the Greek word for least, he takes the Greek word for smallest, and he adds an ending that doesn't really work at all, and he comes out with something like leaster. I'm the leaster. And he may have been playing off of his Latin name. His Latin name was Paulus. And, and Paulus means little or small. And so the idea there is that I am, I'm little by my name. I'm little in stature. And morally and spiritually, I'm littler than the least of all Christians. I am small Paul. That's what he was saying. I am small Paul. I'm the least. You know, we look at Paul and we say, wow, he's an amazing man. But he didn't see himself that way, did he? He didn't see himself that way at all. He didn't see himself as, I'm the founder of the churches, all these churches, I'm the founder of them, you know, and walk around and require a special donkey to come into town on, you know, like some evangelists do. They got to have a, a special car. Something like, that wasn't Paul. That wasn't Paul. He said, I'm the least. I'm small Paul. I, I don't even deserve to be here because I persecuted the church. Because I murdered Christians. I murdered saints. That's what he's saying. I'm, I, I am less than the least. He put himself last. Put himself last. That's, that's humility. And you'd wonder, well, is Paul really sincere? Yeah, yeah. 
I believe he was sincere, you know. He had a profound understanding of his own sin. He had a profound understanding of his sin. You know, sometimes that's the beginning of, of, of becoming a Christian, is to realize where you are. You know, because there's this tendency to say, for people to say, well, uh, I, I'm not really, you know, I'm not, I, I'm not a wonderful person, but I'm not as bad as they are. You know, on a scale of uh, one to a hundred, you know, maybe I'm 50. I'm kind of in the middle, but, but there's somebody way worse than me, you know, look at them. And, and so there's, a, there's this way of kind of comparing people, you know, and it has something to do with, with if I'm a good person that God's going to let me into heaven. Even though maybe I never really accepted the Lord, I never accepted Jesus, I never lived for him, I never made, made any kind of, of recognition that I even needed a savior, but if I'm a good enough person, the, the, door, for, the door to heaven will be open to me. That's not true. In fact, if you go by that standard, you know, I used to be a teacher, so, uh, you know, I'm looking at, at, at a paper somebody wrote, and I'm saying, well, you know, 60 is pretty much the cutoff. Anything above 60, you're going to pass, minimally. But you get down below 60, man, you got nothing. So how does God look at it? How does God look at it? Do you need to reach 75%? You know, you're a good person, 75%, and that tips the scale. And then, then you're gonna, he's going to let you into heaven. You know, what's the cutoff? That's the question. Maybe the cutoff is really 90%. And if you're aiming for 75, you're not even close. So how do you know? How do you know when good enough is good enough? Fact is that being good doesn't get us anywhere. Fact is that Paul's attitude here, I'm, I'm less than the least. I'm the greatest sinner of all of the sinners. And I need Jesus Christ for my Savior. That's a much better attitude. That's the ticket. That's the ticket. Is Jesus Christ. We don't... We cannot be good enough. We cannot be good enough to get through the doors of heaven. It's not possible. It's impossible. But you know, that gives me hope because throughout the week, I'm, I'm, I'm not always a good representative of Christ. I'm just not. You know, I, I made a comment to someone the other day. I said, you know, when I go out in a public place, I, I have to be careful because I don't know who might know me and I don't know them. You know, I want to be a good representative. First of all, I want to be a good representative of this church. But I, I'm, I'm a representative of Jesus Christ. And if, if I'm over somewhere and I'm, I'm having a meltdown because uh, they don't have any grapefruit, that's not good doesn't look good. But see, it's, it's, it's the fact that that old man is still, still, I try to keep him in a closet. I have a closet where I keep him locked in there. You know, and I'm hoping he'll die. I never feed him and never give him any water. 
I'm hoping he'll die over time. But every now and then, he comes out. That's the fact. And I need forgiveness for that. You know, I told my, one of my coworkers uh, yesterday, I said, uh, I said, you know, God always shows up. God always shows up. I'm always able to, to, to fill up the time and more. But I got to do my part. I got to do my part. And my part is to spend enough time in God's Word so that I can talk about it. But my part also is to get myself right. Because, because I got to ask forgiveness for the way I've treated my coworkers all week, you know? Sometimes it's not good. And he knew exactly what I'm talking about. You know, now I'm not a horrible person at work. You guys know that. But I'm not the person I want to be either. You know, I'm not what I was. Or I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what God wants me to be. But thank God I'm not what I was either. Thank God I've, I've grown and I've changed. And that's what Paul is talking about. Was Paul sincere? He absolutely was. Paul said to Timothy, he said, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Of whom I'm the worst. That's what Paul said. Paul's planting churches. Paul's writing these letters that we're reading decades later. We're, we're learning from them. You know, Paul is a, is, a, is a spiritual giant to us. But that's not how he saw himself. He saw himself as the worst of the sinners. But you know what? That's a much better view. It's a much better view. If you say, if you can recognize, man, I'm a sinner. I am not a nice person, and I need Jesus Christ. You're in a much better position than if you think, I'm not too bad, you know. I didn't run over anybody today. I didn't knock down any banks. You know, I, I didn't do any of that kind of stuff, so I'm not too bad, you know. Maybe, maybe God will let me in heaven, you know. I'll tell you what, that's not a risk you want to take. That is not a risk you want to take. There are people out there who want to say, I don't even believe in heaven. I certainly don't believe in hell. Is that a risk you really want to take? Really? That's not a risk I want to take. I'm not taking that risk. I'm not doing that. You know, it's much better to see yourself as a sinner who needs a Savior and to do that. You know, make that choice. Take the ticket. Take the ticket. So Paul says, he says, I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. He said, no, I worked harder than all of them. But not I, but the grace of God that was within me. And Paul's recognizing there that you can't work hard enough to earn your way into heaven. You know, there's people, there's rich people out there who say, if I give enough money, you know, what do they call that? They call that in, a, in, in one church, they call it buying indulgences, I think, or something like that, where you've done something terrible, 
but you give enough money to offset it. Now we're back to the balances, right? We're back to the balances. If I put enough over here, maybe it'll make up for over here. If I'm good enough over here, maybe it'll make up for over here. You know, I'll volunteer in soup kitchens. I will, uh, I will go to foreign countries and I'll dig wells. I will, I will go to different places and I'll, I'll build houses for people. And then I've done enough good that it offsets the bad I've done. So we're back to the balances. But how much is enough? How much is enough? You don't know. Thing is that if you have Jesus Christ on your side, you've got enough. There's no question about it. There's no question about it. When you stand before God on that last day, and Jesus, Jesus has you covered by his blood, you're in. There's no question about, is it enough? Because Jesus' blood was enough. Jesus' blood was enough for all of us. Paul says, once for all time. Once for all time. One sacrifice for all of time. And that's what it is. So, um, who was Paul focusing his message on? He was focusing on, the, on uh, Christ to the Jews. He says to preach to the, or to the Gentiles, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's where Paul was with his message. Christ was everything. He said, we preach Christ crucified. That's a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. And it's still like that, isn't it? It's still like that. The majority of the Jews in the world don't want anything to do with Jesus. Nothing. They do not recognize him as the Messiah, as the Son of God. There's no recognition to him. And to most Gentiles, who is what, the rest of the world? It's foolishness. That's true, isn't it? That hasn't changed. That is still the same as it was. But Paul says, he says, to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God for the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. So specifically he's talking about the unsearchable riches of God is what he calls it. And literally, uh, the, the, the translation literally reads the riches that cannot be tracked. That is a difficult idea to get around and translators of Scripture worked hard coming up with different, different synonyms that would convey the meaning of that Greek word because it doesn't translate very well. And they, they came up with words like inexplorable riches, untraceable, unfathomable, inexhaustible, illimitable, in, inscribable, incalculable, infinite. All of those words, none of them really work. None of them None of them convey the same thing that the Greek word that he used there. We don't have a good translation word for that. So the implication of that is that Christ always enriches your life. Christ always enriches it. You know, uh, suppose there's a young guy and and he kind of wants to become a Christian, but, you know, he looks at it and he says, you know, if I I make that kind of a commitment, there's a few things I'm probably going to have to give up. I'm going to have to stop doing some things. I'm going to have to stop hanging out with some friends. I'm going to have to move on. 
it, it's my, I'm going to have a different life. My message is that God always enriches your life. He adds to it. What I'm saying is, you're not going to miss anything. Because what you think is so valuable to you right now, when you move over, is not going to be worth much. It isn't worth much. Because God adds to your life. God brings things into your life that you didn't have before that are so much more valuable. And one of the things you realize, and and I don't know, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm getting old. Um, I realize that friends that I have that are Christians are very valuable to me. They're valuable. Those friendships. That's one of those things that, that uh, God has added to my life. It's something I didn't have before. But God added it. You know, there's, there's a variety of things that, that you'll find. And, and it changes as you get older. You know, it changes. That's not always a bad thing. Um, I, I am trying to age gracefully, but I'm not doing very well. Because uh, some, some things I don't like that I'm seeing. My body is not what it used to be. Um, things break. Things break. <laughs> and you notice the weakness. You know, I've noticed I have a lot of weakness in my legs still. I'm not nearly as strong as I used to be. And that bothers me. I'm working on that. Trying to age gracefully. But the one aspect of my life that improves is my spiritual life. That improves. God adds things to your life. He's not going to take it away. Don't worry about God taking away things out of your life that you enjoy. Because you'll be so enriched by what you get from God that you'll be happy to give it up. You'll be happy to walk away. And some of those friends that you think are friends, they cause a lot of trouble in your life if you think about it. And when you walk away from those friends that do nothing but bring trouble into your life and you walk into a Christian family, you're going to have friends who don't bring trouble into your life. They bring peace into your life. And that's something God adds. So the first focus of Paul's preaching was to preach Christ to the Gentiles. His next focus was to inform the world about the church, to show to everybody the administration of that mystery that he was talking about. That mystery that was hidden by God until that time. And Paul was, one of Paul's objectives was to inform them, to talk to them about that mystery of the Jews and the Gentiles coming together. You're going to have to give me a signal, Curtis, because I don't have my phone up here. Um, Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, love one another. Love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. And you know what? That's a commandment. That's not a suggestion. 
That's a commandment. And sometimes you look at that commandment and you say, that's tough. That's hard. You know, that, that's Scott. He's, he's hard to get along with. He's not a very lovable guy. It's like he has thorns coming out of him. But it's a commandment. The good news is that, that uh, God enables us through the changes he brings into our life, through the Holy Spirit, he enables us to do those things. He enables us to love one another. Curtis, you've got to give me a signal when it's time. Uh, got to bring it in for a landing, right? No crash landing like the other day. Love, loving one another. Love, loving one another is, is not always the easiest thing to do. And, uh, and you know what? In a, in, a, in a relationship, in a marriage, sometimes that love grows thin, you know? And, and it's not pretty. It's a disaster. It's absolutely a disaster. It's only through God through Jesus Christ, through the presence of His Holy Spirit, that He can bring about changes in us that we can survive those kinds of things. Right? You know, I've been blessed. I've, I've been absolutely blessed. I've been married 25 years. And um, it's, it's been a great 25 years. But I was especially blessed, and I'm very aware of that. But for you, if you are, if you're in a relationship that's that's not great right now, God can change that. God can change that, and and, and one of the keys to that is to ask Him. God wants us to ask, ask, and you shall receive. Knock, and it shall be opened. Recognize that you need, you need supernatural help. You need help that you could not, you need help to do something you could not do on your own. You need supernatural help for that. And, and God will give it to you. And God will bless those relationships. Maybe, maybe you have a relationship with your, with your family, you know, siblings, brothers and sisters, a parent, Aunts and uncles, I see you, Curtis. I'm ignoring you. Um, maybe, maybe the relationship is is like that, and and you're estranged from from brothers and sisters, or or maybe you're estranged from a parent. God can fix that. You got to pray about it. You got to ask. You got to be sincere. Sometimes the change that's required is in you. Maybe not them. And you can't make that kind of a change without supernatural help either, can you? You've got you to have help with that. God gives that to you. God will bless you with that. You know them by the love that they have one for another. You know, love draws people, doesn't it? It's really funny. Love draws dogs too. Um, I can be sitting on the couch and i got my arm around my wife and we're you know, we're cuddling, and next thing I know, our dog, and he's a pretty big dog, he's up 
on our lap trying to get between us. Because he sees the love. He wants part of the love. People are drawn to love. If God's people love each other, that's going to show. That's going to show, and it's going to draw people. And, and when you have that kind of love, you know, for your family, it draws you together. But, uh, but it's not something that happens necessarily naturally. It's a supernatural thing. When we recognize that, it opens different doors. So, um, I'm going to pause because there is food over there. And uh, I don't want them getting upset with me because I kept you here too long. So I'm going to pray right now. And um, I'm also going to pray for the food so that when you go over there, you can just get in line and go for it. Um, I'm going to stand up here. And if any of you would like prayer, I invite you to come up. I'd love to pray with you. So... um, Let's pray. Almighty God, we put our trust in Jesus Christ. We trust him for our redemption. We trust him for our salvation. And we trust him to make us into people that uh, glorify and honor God. Um, We trust Jesus Christ so that we can stand before you, God, knowing that we have forgiveness. Lord, we repent of our sinful ways and we commit to serving you. We ask you to fill us with your Holy Spirit right now. And Father, bless the food that's across the hall that we're about to enjoy. Bless our fellowship together and uh, keep everyone safe and healthy through the next week. In Jesus' name we pray. You've been listening to a live teaching from the River Christian Fellowship, home of CSN. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, you can catch the free podcast by searching the iTunes store for the River Christian Fellowship or give us a call at 800-357-4226. There's also a video of today's teaching available on our website, theriverchristianfellowship.com, and then click the media button. And tune in next week for more from the River Christian Fellowship live on CSN. This is KAWZ Twin Falls, the Christian Satellite Network.